Hello everyone, welcome back to The Limitless Pregnancy. It is January, which is a huge time in the fitness industry for the January challenge. So we're gonna spend the month talking about various things fitness related. And today specifically, we have Whitney Mack joining us. She's gonna talk to us a lot about hormones in fitness and how women's bodies are affected throughout their cycle, specifically through pregnancy, through postpartum, and what that means for what your fitness regimen should look like. And it's probably not what you think. So listen in. We're happy to have you back and please feel free to share any feedback or any questions that you have with us. You are welcome to connect with us through the podcast notes. There's a link to connect directly to me or you can find us on Instagram at The Limitless Pregnancy. Thanks and enjoy. Are you teaching virtually or or like how does your business look right now? Yep, it's all... um pretty much online. I have, we have a garage studio. Our garage is built out. Um, so I had some small groups and some of them are in person. And then I do online and in person at the same time with those. Um, and then all of my health coaching and nutrition clients, those are primarily online once in a while when it was nicer, we would meet outside Um, and I've had a few people come to the garage one-on-one stuff as well. So mostly I would say like 90% of it's online. That's, I made a pretty, pretty smooth transition because I was just able to tell people like, Hey, I'm going to do this on zoom and it's going to be the same time. And this is how we're doing it. And so I, I had kind of tapered down the amount of fitness classes that I was teaching at the time. So I didn't have like a huge class load that I had to move over, um, but luckily everyone was totally on board and it's been pretty good. That's, that's nice. It's nice that it was that smooth for you. I know for a lot of people it has not been. So I'm happy for you that you have, no. have been able to make that shift and still manage it and still manage your clients. Are you finding that your clients are still having the time to work out with you? Or are you finding that it's sort of there's that COVID impact of like people are having to juggle things in their schedule that they weren't before, like their kids or distance learning or anything like that. Well, my classes were always more like early morning or Mm -hmm. evening. Mm -hmm. Um, So say it was mostly built in around their kids schedule anyways. Um, My, because people are at home, I actually shifted some of my classes back to later to start at 7am instead of 6am, which was, oh my gosh, so nice for me. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, With, you know, a baby that wakes often in the night still getting up early is not that fun. So, Mm -hmm. um, but everything else, pretty much everyone has still been able to do it. And I think it's also the, I'm not holding a schedule of teaching the same people like three times a week or four times a week or whatever. So the one time a week that I'm teaching like my big group class, everyone has been able to pretty much everyone has been able to carve that out and hold that space. Oh, that's really nice. That's great. That's like the ideal setup, I think for, especially for moms in fitness right now. Yeah. I, I can't imagine, um, having a studio or, um, having a bigger class load that I was depending on for income and, you know, going through that shift and it not making it, you know, I have so many, there's so many friends and, um, colleagues in the fitness industry in Seattle that I've, I've just, well, seen a ton of resilience, like been so amazing and so impressed. And also the sadness of studios closing and things like that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a weird time. So, okay. I don't want to get too Debbie Downer about COVID because it is what it is and it's, (laughs) and it ain't over yet. So about your business specifically, how did you get, so you've been teaching your own classes for a while, right? Like you've, you've been running your own business for a number of years at this point, right? Yeah. I've probably since I would say like 2012 was when I would define having started my own business as a piece of also teaching for other studios at the time. Yeah. So how did you take us along your fitness journey? How did you get into it? How did it, how did it progress to your current business? How did you come to have all of the wealth of knowledge that you have right now about, you know, coaching women and 
um, prenatal and postpartum and um, the nutrition component, which is so important, the hormonal aspect of the nutrition component. How did you get here? <laughs> um, well, I started working at Lululemon when I came to Seattle. And at the time, Wait, which all Lululemon of their... were you at? Pacific Place. What? When did you stop working there? Were we there at there... the same time? I don't think so. I was there 2008 to 2010. Oh, okay. Mostly was... for a year and then away and then back for a little bit. Okay. I think I was there in 2010, like winter of 2010. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. So you started at Lululemon. <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. Well, then, you know, at the time they were giving away free fitness classes as yeah. part of their grassroots marketing approach. So I had coming from Montana, never really taken, I'd never taken any fitness classes really, maybe a couple. Um, so all of a sudden I was just, could take any class in Seattle essentially. And so started taking them and just fell in love with group fitness, eventually fell in love with a particular studio called Five Focus in South Lake Union. And I became the um, studio manager there. And that's, um, it was a physical therapy office that also had, um, fitness classes. And so I, that's where I got my certification. I told them that I wanted to start teaching and Laura, the owner of I Focus had a pretty high standard of what her instructors needed to know in terms of anatomy and understanding physiology and things like that. So right off the get-go, I had to know the body and why I was putting exercises together and stuff and would write my own classes. Um, so that's where I started. And then also through my connections through Lululemon, because I was the community manager at the time. So I was involved with the ambassadors. So the people that we would bring on to represent Lululemon um, that also had great connections. I had awesome relationships with them and they connected me to other studios, particularly um, Christian Murphy Madden connected me to Tracy Barty, who owned Fly Fitness and Tracy of Fly was teaching, she had classes in Kirkland and Bellevue and Issaquah and Seattle, and she was looking to open her first actual location. Everything was outside in Kirkland. So she basically, within like a couple months of working for her, she handed me her entire Seattle business and was like, here you go, you can teach all these classes. So that was in Green Lake and Capitol Hill. And um, two years into that, I bought all of the Seattle classes from her because she was pretty, she was not involved really anymore. And so that's, that was kind of the initiation of having my own classes, not teaching for other people. And then in and out from there, I've gone into studios and taught for a while, like for bar three and then stopped. And then um, a couple studios in West Seattle. And um, so fitness, I've, um, I would say, I've taught it. I mean, I've been a teacher since 2009. So I've been doing that for 11 years. And then I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in 2012 to 13. So that's when I added the health coaching and the nutrition aspect to my business, which is about the time that I started having my own fitness classes too. So I was able to weave those together. And then I got pregnant with Will um, and had him in 2015. And that totally rocked my world. He was a lovely surprise. <laughs> and that really changed my trajectory, I would say, of looking at the body in a different way. Um, going into it, I started to research pregnancy, connect with physical therapists about like, you know, the different shifts that were going to be happening and how I could support my pregnant body. Um, during pregnancy and postpartum. And I would say that support, especially from physical therapists um, to do with the pelvic floor, like women's health physical therapists that specialize in pelvic floor physical therapy was really game-changing, I think, in terms of my recovery with Will. Um, yeah. And started me on, I think like motherhood really brought me to my knees in realizing like I couldn't just work out the way I worked out before because before that I would work out I would say fair like every workout was pretty much the same in terms of intensity it's pretty 
like on the higher intensity end or heavier strength training or doing the exercise, like high intensity strength training where the exercises are paired together quickly to keep your heart rate up, not necessarily high impact. Right. Um, and I just couldn't do that postpartum and it didn't feel right. So that's when I started. And I, um, at the same time found Kate Northrup's work, which she was just beginning this program called origins, which was molding your business and your life to a degree, um, to the seasons of your cycle and which we have four seasons to our cycle that mimic the seasons of the earth and, um, the phases of the moon. And so that was where I first was like, whoa, what? My cycle has, um, seasons inside it and it's different and I should feel different and what? And, and that, <laughs> um, turned me on to Alyssa Vitti's work. Who's kind of, she's the, I would say the, the godmother of, and founder of the idea of cycle syncing. So syncing up your workouts and your food and your lifestyle to the different phases of your cycle during your reproductive years. Yeah. Which is so huge. So huge. Um, and I also found Dr. Stacy Sims work who hers is specific to, um, tailoring your exercise to your physiology. She talks a little bit about nutrition, but it's mostly exercise. And so, I started to bring in all of those pieces and that's really where my work now is, was born from is that I coach women on is tailoring your workouts, your nutrition, your lifestyle to the season of life you're in for sure. Um, and then even deeper into that, the phases of your cycle in your reproductive years, and then also coaching women through perimenopause and and menopause, which is totally different than your reproductive years. Yeah. So that's how I got into hormones and really, and then I really got into the idea of honoring the postpartum journey and recovery way deeper with Felix, my second. So all of that, it was, it was really born from my kids of where I am now. Um, that I could no longer ignore this feminine side because I really operated a lot in my masculine. You know, I find that happens um, with with a large majority of women who specialize in pre and postnatal fitness is that we get to a certain point and we go, hold on a second, nothing around me fits right? Nothing, none of, none of what's being offered, none of what's, you know, the trendy workout or the, the big thing right now, none of that fits what my body needs. And I feel like my, my experience was also very similar, um, with Harper where I was like, no, this doesn't, (laughs) this does not compute. And then there needs to be more out there. Um, yeah, rather there, I know there's more out there and I need to find it. Um, and, and I think that that's what I, I'm excited that the fitness industry has started to make a, a fairly big shift in the last decade or so to to start to separate pre and postnatal fitness from, you know, your quote unquote standard fitness regime. But, um, you know, it has a long way to go. And I think that what you're talking about, about incorporating understanding your hormonal cycles and even just in postpartum, the, the hormonal fluctuation that happens, whether you're breastfeeding or whether your body is just looking to self-regulate again, all of that has such a huge impact on, on how your body absorbs movement and the kind of movement that you need to benefit. And I, I am excited that it's becoming a conversation and I am excited for the day that it's a larger conversation, which is, oh my gosh. Amen. Which is why you're here because, <laughs> because we have to start that conversation somewhere. Right. And we have to get people. Yep. And I, and I feel like a little bit, um, we're fighting an uphill battle because, you know, it's very common. It's that incredibly aggravating and fairly toxic concept that postpartum we have to get our body back and it's all about bouncing back and and uh-huh. you know it's it's in my opinion a huge disservice to women and what they need and the more we can help them understand that their needs are different than um aesthetic first of all and just that their needs are different than their needs were before they were pregnant and and their needs are different than your 
standard fitness class, the more that we can, I, I think, normalize that, the more we're going to be able to move in the right direction. Oh my gosh, totally. So Amen. speaking of the fitness industry, I don't yes. want to be totally negative on it because there's a ton of, a ton of benefits from the fitness industry as well. But we, we know that the fitness industry is, um, I haven't looked at the numbers for 2020, but as of 2019, it was a $26 billion a year industry. So obviously those people, there's a lot of motivation from a lot of people in the industry to make money. And, and mm -hmm. more often than not, when the motivation is to make money, the motivation starts to steer away from the individual needs, right? because yep. it's all about creating what's going to be flashy, what's going to catch your eye, what's going to get your attention, what's going to be um, trending, what's going to be popular, how can you, how many influencers can you get to do it, to promote <laughs> it, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, very much like a flashy Hollywood industry, and obviously there's not, there's not a lot of there's not anything really sexy about being like, Hey guys, let's talk about your hormones and your, you know, <laughs> when you're in your luteal phase, let's talk about how you should be <laughs> working with weights. You know, like people don't want to hear yeah. that because it's not exciting and it's not, it's not, um, well, I guess that's it. It's just not exciting. So yeah, I know that that's, that's at least my stance on how the fitness industry is not helping moms. Um, but I do think it's important also to talk about how the fitness industry is fitness industry is helping moms because I think that there is benefit as well. So what do you notice, um, from your perspective about both the things that are, that are ending up sort of being, um, I'm trying to figure out how to not say it negatively, but, but <laughs> inhibiting moms to be able to really progress and, and be in their bodies and, and make lasting changes that allow happier lifestyle moving forward. Um, yeah. What are the things that you notice that inhibit that? And then what are the things that you notice that support that? Well, I think the biggest barrier that we encounter as women in the current fitness industry is that 99.9% .9 of all studies in terms of exercise and nutrition um, are done on men and or <laughs> women in menopause whose hormones mimic a male's hormone cycle. And so just for anyone who isn't familiar, um, males operate on a 24-hour hormone cycle. So you can think of them exactly like the sun. The sun rises and sets in the exact same place every day. It's totally predictable and it does not change the circadian rhythm. And as women, our hormone cycle goes over an average 28 to 30 day period, which mimics, used to fully mimic, but still mimics the cycle of the moon. So if you think about the moon, she is in a different place every day. She travels through a different zodiac sign every two days. She changes in size and brightness. And that's essentially what we as women do. So our moods change, our energy changes, our hormones change over, a, we'll call it a month long period versus a day. So, and our hormones do different things. We have high hormone phase and a low hormone phase. Whereas men, they can do the same thing every day, which is why they're easy to study over time um, in terms of exercise studies and like, oh, this is what's the most effective and all the biohacking stuff you see out there, whether it's from Bulletproof or um, Mark Sasson or any of the primal stuff, it's all based on the male circadian rhythm. So I that's what I see as the biggest barrier is the language that you're getting is this is the most effective workout, do this. This is the most effective diet, do that. And it's effective for men, but it's not effective for women for our whole cycle, which is why you'll find that exercise certain types, they feel good at certain points in your cycle. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm rocking this workout. I feel strong. And then like a couple of days later, a week later, you do the same workout and you feel like dirt you know, and <laughs> you don't have the same strength or the same energy or even the same motivation. And so when, as women, when we operate within this paradigm that is created for men, um, essentially we don't ever look at the paradigm and go, oh, I think that's wrong. 
as women, we have a propensity to turn the lens on ourselves and go, something must be wrong with me. Yes. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. If I could just like put that on <laughs> and frame it. That's <laughs> so, it's such a good point. Yeah. Sorry, so I continue. think the fitness industry, no, it's, it's, that's it. It's, it's created to make women feel bad about themselves. That's how we're not supported because it's a paradigm, just like the whole entire modern world we live in under a patriarchy is not built for women. And my, one of my teachers, Dr. Stacy Sims coined the term, women are not small men. And so we should essentially stop acting like it. Oh my God. I love that so much. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, I think that that's something too, that like you were saying with, um, you know, this, this is the diet that's going to work. This is the exercise or the movement that's going to work in your body. And then suddenly we see, we see in real time, the differences in reception of the body, right? Like my husband can change his diet and three (laughs) days later, he looks different. My Uh, husband can do you know, 10 pull-ups a day. And I literally see a difference in his arms in 24 hours. And we, and that never happens for women. And so it's like this, this unrealistic, unattainable comparison or expectation that like it's working for them. So it should be working for me too, but it's like apples and oranges, right? There's no, there's, as long as we are comparing ourselves to the successes and fitness of men, we are always going to be setting ourselves up for failure. Totally. And the same with nutrition studies, you know, you hear like paleo is the best diet, keto is the new hot trend. And um, that supported for half of our cycle, but the other half, no. And high intensity exercise is what you hear is the hot best way to, you know, improve your metabolism and burn fat and all of this. And it's totally supported for half of our cycle. And the other half, it will actually make you gain weight and lose muscle mass if we as women exercise that way so you know at best you end a cycle with zero gains like maybe you made some during your low hormone phase and then your high hormone phase you mitigate them but at worst you have actually put on weight and lost some of the muscle that you tried to build um which is so disheartening for women um and why I think we're constantly just, we're the biggest consumers. We're constantly seeking because nothing works or it works for a little bit while our body adapts and then it doesn't anymore. <laughs> um, so I think what what is encouraging to me is I do see more women and more leaders. Um, I would say not necessarily like Instagram, um, like people who have a huge following on Instagram, it's not a lot of like those people, but I see more people following like Alyssa Vitti or Dr. Stacey Sims or the, you know, the coaches or scientists who are starting to talk about this. And um, I see it growing and I see more women coaching in that way as well. And, or even becoming aware of it. There's definitely a lot of interest, I think, um, because when you say it, women have this moment where they go, I have felt that, but I didn't know why. I, again, I thought something was wrong with me. And so I think if, if we can just get the message out there that this paradigm isn't working for you, it's not you, it's the, it's the paradigm, um, like the breakup, you know, let's break up with this type of fitness industry. It's not you, it's me. Um, (laughs) I need something different Then I think that's, that's really encouraging, Um, and there's a lot of possibility there. And I, I think to some degree, the, you know, the rise in, um, in women's rights, you know, then in the new feminine feminist wave supports that just from the focus of women wanting to be different. Um, but, you know, I think one thing that is the, will be the determining factor is whether we, are willing to return home to our bodies as a guide instead of constantly seeking outside of it. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm shaking my head so hard at that because um, (laughs) I feel like the industry has groomed us all to look to the quote unquote gurus and see what they have to say, which 
takes me back to something that you were saying before, right? If everything is is focused and designed toward men and then women are are seeing even adverse results, then it's suddenly about the um the the quick fix, right? So if if I if my husband does um he he's a weightlifter, so if he, you know, does a 30-day program, it's like night and day in his body. If I do a 30-day program, I will see minimal at best results. And so then the conversation becomes, and and I've had well-meaning friends and well-meaning people in the industry, you know, bring up the, the quick fix ideas. Like, well, what about like tummy tea? Or what about like, maybe you just need a detox. And it's like, <laughs> these, are, these are things that further perpetuate that idea, right? That like the workout that we're doing, there must be something wrong with my body because the workout isn't making a change. And so I need to suddenly be drinking like tea that does nothing but give me diarrhea or be doing a, a juice cleanse or like celery juice craze man that one had me like just banging my head against the wall because it's like you can't everything everything there is benefit to most things right you're not gonna not have any benefits from drinking celery juice but drinking celery juice every day is not gonna make my body different I have to to treat my body as it is which is my body and not someone else's and not and not what the not what's trendy, like you said, right? Like it's not paleo that's going to do the thing. It's not keto that's going to do the thing. It's understanding how your body functions and what your body needs in order for it to be supported so that you can make active and lasting change. Oh my gosh. Yes. And the male physiology in general is just, they are um, you know, from a biological standpoint too, they are our protectors. They are the ones who are supposed to go out and be able to call on their physical body to protect, to provide. And so they physiologically adapt to anything uh, physically put on them stress-wise, physical stress on their bodies. They respond because that's what they're designed to do. Whereas women, if we put too much physical stress on our body, our body goes, whoa, okay. So obviously this is not baby making time. Like if we're having all of this stress coming in on our body. And so our hormones and our fertility get deprioritized for survival, which um, for women, that is not good because the level of fertility we have is really um, like when you are quote the most fertile your hormones are humming perfectly that's when you feel your best that's when um, your metabolism is working for you instead of against you and so just physiologically you know you gave the example of the 30-day workout program or if you do like whole 30 or something like that you know any of these quick fixes Mm -hmm. we might see some little shifts in the beginning, but then the body goes, whoa, okay. Obviously we're not here for our own benefit. There's something going on where we're either not getting enough um, energy in, or there's the stress you're putting on is too much for this phase that I'm in. And so our hormones are deprioritized. And that's when we see what we interpret from a modern lens as this negative thing of not seeing quote results. Yeah. And that even, I think, goes into, well, this is, we could do like a whole nother episode just on this, but like that goes into the idea that like our bodies are one size fits all. And, you know, I think, um, I think we've shied away from it a little bit, but do you remember the, the couple of years where the 1200 calorie diet was like the thing it was like, you want to lose weight, just do a 1200 calorie diet. And that's, And that was just like this blanket statement that people were taking to heart and putting into action. And it's like, you know, I, I, at my, at my healthiest, my most, I don't even like using the word fit, but when my, when my physical wellness was at its peak, I hover between 112 and 118 um, which, you know, I'm, I have a petite frame. So that is a, that is an attainable number for me because I'm only five, two and I, and I'm not built, you know, super stocky. So for me, that's an attainable number. But when I, when I am 
at my peak wellness and I'm hovering between those numbers, I'm also taking in like nearly 3000 calories a day. And if I were not the amount of cortisol, the amount of stress hormones, the amount of like adverse reactions that my body would be having would, would make it significantly different. But I think that's, that's something that I've noticed is really, really hard to get through to women that like cutting the calories is not the answer especially, especially in your cycle, depending on where you are in your cycle, which I, I want to, I want to hear more about the specific phases, which maybe we, we may not have time to get into today, but, but I think that's something that we really have to understand and tap into to, to know how to utilize our strengths and to know how to maximize our function. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, um, when I first started diving into cycle work, the most mind-blowing thing was how am I in my thirties and just learning this? Yeah. Why did I not know all of these things about my cycle when I was going through puberty? Like, how is this not taught to me as this is what's normal? Um, this is what's common, but is not normal. Um, and right. this is what your cycle is here to teach you. And um, from sex ed to you know, fitness to every platform that we are given to use or look at or manipulate our body. None of it from when I, from childhood till, you know, like I said, in my thirties ever talked about my cycle and Mm -hmm. your cycle. I mean, our bodies are driven by our, our hormones. They literally run all um, systems of our body from metabolism to cognitive function, to immunity, to our reproduction, to our ability to adapt to stress, you know, all of them are driven by our hormones. And if we don't understand the fluctuation that they go through over that month ish long period, then essentially we're always working against them because that's the paradigm that we are currently, um, being given. And how, (laughs) this is such a weighted question, because obviously understanding your own body and its own needs means that there cannot be a one size fits all um, diagnosis or, or even like treatment plan for how to get your body to a, a state of actual wellness. So, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but specifically to pre and postnatal women, how is that, how, how have you observed that that's even heightened? Well, I would say the biggest things that I try to talk about with any woman client or friend who becomes pregnant is the understanding that even within the first trimester, um, you know, your, your blood volume doubles. So you're essentially pumping as much blood through you as two people and how much energy that takes. And then your oxygen capacity um, is to the level of an elite athlete with you literally doing nothing like just sitting there and making a baby, not literally doing nothing, but you could be (laughs) sitting down and your oxygen capacity is the level of an elite athlete. So a lot of women are like, oh, I feel so tired. And like, I don't feel like doing anything. And again, they get down on themselves because they're not able to, or at least don't feel like if they don't want to, you know, push themselves to levels of exhaustion. um, They don't feel like they can do what they used to do. So even from, that's just, you know, that's blood volume and oxygen, not even to do with hormones that like estrogen, um, you know, I think progesterone increases by 10 times its normal amount and estrogen's closer to, um, oh, I'm totally going to butcher this number. I want to say like 50 times, but that might not be right. And it's just, it's a lot. And so you think about your normal hormone cycle, if it was balanced, you would still have shifts in energy. Um, you should feel good all the time, but the energy that you have is very different. And, and um, the things that you feel like doing, so driven by mood, those are very different. And that's just when you have your normal level of hormones, we'll say. And if you elevate those and then add relaxin into the mix, um, which I think is the biggest hormone to understand in pregnancy and postpartum, because yeah. if you're doing high intensity or high impact stuff, you just aren't your joints aren't supported anymore. So you're setting yourself up for long-term injuries. And also it's not, you can certainly, if you're doing high impact stuff during pregnancy, 
and accordingly your pelvic floor is tightening to support that because your ligaments and the muscles around your, um, the ligaments are loosening the joints around your pelvis, then the pelvic floor essentially has to take the brunt of that. And if you're trying to push a baby through your pelvic floor that's gotten tighter and you can't relax it, um, that's a big problem. You know, so I think understanding relaxin's role and how we can support that completely shifts, should shift your exercise. And then postpartum, one, one thing I didn't know that blew my mind was that relaxin stays in your body until four months after you're done breastfeeding. Yeah. So I breastfed Will till he was two. And so that's basically almost two and a half years. Well, add another nine months onto that for, for pregnancy, right. um, over three years that you're working with a hormone that makes high impact stuff um, a lot harder to do without getting lifelong or um, injuries that are harder to come back from. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I focus on with women pregnancy and postpartum is relaxing and just understanding like what their body is doing that is so unseen and really not respected in our world. Like essentially everything that women do that are unique from bleeding mm -hmm. to um, being pregnant to breastfeeding, all of this is like not honored anymore, which it used to be. It, it was yeah. in all traditions, there was a huge reverence for the cycle, for birth, for recovery and for children. There's not even reverence for children anymore. Um, so I think just the understanding of it's a big deal, <laughs> even though you can't see everything that's going on um, and shifting the exercise to support that is, is how I like to talk to women about it versus like hormone specifics. Cause I think sometimes women can get lost in that, but yeah. I do think relaxing is important to understand that like Hey, if you're jumping or you're running, um, it's your pelvic floor is taking the weight of that, and birth is is asking you to fully relax your pelvic floor. So, if you want to help your birth and your labor, there needs to be some practice of relaxing in there. <laughs> yeah, the regeneration is huge, and I find that you know I I am so glad that you mentioned that um, because I've had so many postpartum clients come to me and go, I did all the right things in pregnancy. I was weightlifting and I was running and I was staying super fit and I was really, really strong. And then I had this terrible labor and then I was pushing for five hours and, you know, it, it's, um, <laughs> obviously we're not here to shame anyone and I want to support everyone. And I wish that we had a time machine so that we could go back and make everyone's birth, the ideal birth. Wouldn't that be so nice? But you know, I can't tell you how many people I've had that have come to me and have said those exact same things. Like I, I, I was doing all of the right things. I was getting strong for my labor and then my labor ended up working against me. And it's because it's exactly that reason. We don't talk about the pelvic floor. Strengthening the pelvic floor is not as simple as the Kegel, which everyone loves to talk about. Um, yeah. and, and more often than not, the Kegel can work against you. And it's all about, um, you know, how you're managing those muscles and, and what you're teaching them and what you're expecting of them. And I think that that's something, that's another thing that I, I think is starting to catch on in the industry, but it's still just so under-focused and under-discussed and, and regeneration is such a huge part of that as well, right? Like if all we're doing is putting more, asking, if all we're doing is asking more of our pelvic floor and we're not giving it the time and the space and the focus to release and to soften and to stretch because as we know, a completely, an, an actual strong muscle can both contract and extend, but the extension yep. piece is kind of like left out of pelvic floor attention, you know, in totally. the mainstream for, for not complete, not a hundred percent of the time, but for a, a majority of the time. Um, yeah. I think a mind blowing thing for me was when my woman's health physical therapist told me that incontinence so when you leak pee um that that can be born just as much from a over tight and strong pelvic floor as it can a weak pelvic floor yeah. and I was like what <laughs> <laughs> so and I think that's for women you know they when they have incontinence they're like oh I'm not strong enough and it's like well 
possibly you need to go get that assessed actually to, to check out your, um, your ability to, like you said, contract and release by getting internal work from a woman's health physical therapist. Um, but it's also, you know, if you just talk to someone about a muscle in the fitness industry, there's, I think mobility has made a, a big, um, it's been growing in popularity. And so people understand like, most people are starting to understand that a muscle can only be as strong as it is flexible. Um, you know, with the being able to fully, it can only fully contract if it fully extends. And so bringing that to the pelvic floor, bringing that awareness to the pelvic floor, because as women, we're taught to just hold our abs tight all the time so that we look thinner. Right. And, oh, do more core work, more core work, more core work. So you crunches, have the, more crunches. the six pack. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really, uh, you're, you said it earlier, but totally working upstream in regards to the language and the way we approach women's fitness in general as being totally different from men because we have a cycle and because we freaking make babies and they never have to do that right? <laughs> for them or recover from it. So I think while I appreciate so many aspects of the feminist movement in terms of women, women equality, I think the important differentiation to me is um, we are just as valuable. We are equal as humans. And also we are very different and standing in that difference means standing in our body and realizing all the amazing things that it does that the male body cannot do. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point earlier about the fact that the majority of studies are done on men, recognizing that there are things that the male body can do that the male body was built to do that our bodies were not built to do. And that doesn't make us lesser. That doesn't make us weak. That doesn't make us, you know, that doesn't make the men better or more powerful. It it's acknowledging science, right? It's just acknowledging that like at base value, we are two different beings. We are two different structures that were designed to do two very different things. You would never, you would never ask a grass hut to be a skyscraper and vice versa. So like they are both shelters that stand on the ground and you know, keep people dry in theory, but they're, they're still not comparable to one another. And I think that that is something that overall, I mean, I don't, I don't know that the industry is ever going to make change for that because I think it's, I mean, I, I guess I should be hopeful. Maybe someday it will, but I think it's really like, we have to create the grassroots movement and we have to be the women that are fighting for other women and saying, Hey, listen, you don't have to constantly be living in this state of comparing yourself to men and comparing yourself to magazine covers that are airbrushed. And I remember when I first started working in New York, the company that I was working for, we were having this huge forum and it was in LA and one of their star trainers had just come from a photo shoot and she had, I don't think two cocktails and they ended up having to take her to the hospital because she had, she was doing a photo shoot for, um, I think for insanity. And in order to make sure that her muscles looked as defined as possible, she had not eaten in days. She was severely dehydrated because as you know, the more water is in your body, the less muscle definition you have. And, and I just remember being like, what are we, what actually are we doing to people that, that this is the result that she went for days and days of torturing her body to look good in a photo shoot. And now as a result, she's going to the hospital. And this is, and that's like industry standard. Like there are so many stories like that. And you know, every magazine cover has that person that actually doesn't look that defined in real life, but they have not eaten. They have not hydrated themselves and they're also airbrushed on top of that. And that's like the thing that we're meant to aspire to be. Yep. And I think like you talked about earlier with Instagram and just social media or anything being flashy, like if you're not a fitness person or nutrition person showing up with what is by the media deemed the ideal body, mm-hmm. which is essentially no body fat, and you can see all the muscles and everything, then it's way harder to sell programs, yeah. you know, or, or gain people to even look at your stuff. And so I, it's definitely that aesthetic is, is super hard to overcome 
for women who are in that phase of seeking of outside themselves constantly to, to change their body as most of us find at some point in our lives. Right. And there's not just that sort of standard education, even, even in the industry within professionals in the industry, there's not that standard education that women have different requirements than men. I remember, um, I had a friend that was working with a personal trainer and she, my friend was female. The personal trainer was male. And he was like, mm. okay. he was like, our goal is to get you down to 12% body fat. And I was like, you have to stop going to him immediately. Like yeah. this is you, this is so unhealthy. And that might be his goal for himself, but your body cannot function that way. But yeah. It's just not taught. And if it's not taught to the people that are educating, if it's not taught to the to the people that the clients are paying money to, then it's not, you know, there's no trickle down effect. There's no one's getting the information. Yeah. And I mean, I would say in general, I would tell most women like, don't go see a male personal trainer. <laughs> yeah. um, but even some women, you know, women are are guilty of this mentality also as well. But I would say even my husband, like, He's like, well, just, you know, do this. And, and I would tell them to do this. I'm like, um, no. Yeah. So we've had a lot of those same conversations too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, it's cute that you're a bodybuilder, but we don't work that way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Kimberly, can you imagine, like, you're talking about like, if you, like, if we were told in the, like the education, like, can you imagine if in sex education, when you're starting to go through puberty, that the, the teacher literally was like, guys, your bodies right now are going to, you're going to get more muscular and your voices are going to deepen and that's normal for you. And that's like your physiology. And then girls over here, your physiology is that your hips are going to widen right now. And you're going to feel awkward in your body because your cue angle, your angle from hip to knee is different. And so we need to slow down your training right now and, and work on the basics. And it's totally different than the training that, you know, we would do as a man over here. And also like, this is what your body is going to, how it's going to be different over this month long cycle. It's going to fluctuate in size and shape and weight. And that's normal. Okay. That's the baseline. Like if you were told that instead of just talking about sex or whatever sex that is, you know, is it would be so game changing. So I have to tell you, um, we actually just did a program through Seattle Children's Hospital. It's called Great Conversations, and it is a stellar jumping off point. Um, It is not super in-depth. There's a lot of information that is missing, but it is a comprehensive biological sex education program for kids. And it you know, it takes all the shame out of it. I don't know how your sex ed was where you went to school when you were a kid, but mine very much was like, if you have sex, you're going to get herpes and then you're going to get cancer. (laughs) And then, you know, it was just like, it was like alarmist attacking information was the only basis for the, for the, the program for sex, for public school sex ed. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, I don't know how much progress we've made since the 90s, but I have to imagine that it's probably not been a lot. So I have gone well out of my way to make sure that Harper understands, like, you know, scientifically what is happening in the body, scientifically what sex is, scientifically how sex was designed to create pregnancy, but also, you know, like having those conversations strictly from an educational perspective and taking away all the stigma. And, um, and I know that it is not common and, and I (laughs) am fighting for it to be, which is another conversation, um, entirely because people deserve to understand what's happening in their body at all times, whether they're our age and, you know, they're getting bad fitness information or whether they're, Harper's age and they're in fifth grade and there are tremendous changes happening, not only to their body, but also their, their balance of hormones, which affects their emotions. And like understanding that fluctuation in emotion is normal and you're not crazy and you're not being Mm -hmm. dramatic and you're not overreacting. And like, this is, this is from a scientific perspective, what's happening in your body and it is perfectly normal. And like, here's how to manage it. God forbid we give people the tools, right. To be able to manage the constant change that they're going to go through from the minute they have their first cycle until essentially until they're done with menopause, which is the vast majority of your life. Yep. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the biggest, um, in understanding emotions, one of the biggest shifts with my cycle came with, um, my acupuncturist who was another, my first acupuncturist, Alyssa was a huge initiator of understanding my cycle. She's the first one who told me periods should not be painful. And I was like, what? <laughs> Mind blown. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. Um, and I did not believe her at first. Um, but like, you know, there's a, there's a half of our cycle, the low hormone phase, the first half of our cycle where we have more energy and we feel like saying yes to more things and doing more things. And then we come to the second half of our cycle, um, our high hormone phase and all the things that we had energy for, or we're saying yes to, or overextending ourselves all of a sudden show up as things that irritate us and things that, um, we have more of a negative look towards and we're that's labeled as um, being bitchy or being over emotional or irritable. And the lens that my acupuncturist gave me to look at it through, she, she, she said, that is your true self letting you know what you truly have energy for. Like, Ooh, and like as women, we're, we're total overextenders right? Just say yes, say yes, say yes until we break. But if we can listen to those, the times where we are, especially during our luteal phase, because um, we're more connected to our intuition during that time. And um, the, you know, that side of the brain is firing more. You can see that on, you know, different brain scans and stuff. And so if we can look at those times where we're labeled as negative emotions in our current society of, oh, you're bitchy, you're, you're moody, you're irritable, like taking those and going, okay, well, why do I feel this way around this? And usually it comes down to, well, I don't have the energy for that. Or I, if I'm looking at how I want to spend my time, I don't want to spend it that way. And so really coming to our true self and what we're here for and um, what we want to do with our time in our life, we can really use those emotions instead of them being labeled as even just these fluctuations and they're normal fluctuations, but there's this layer of discernment under them that I think was such a gift to me of like, oh, I'm not just being a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this because is really what, telling what me we're something. told, right? That's our whole life. Like the minute the, it's like the minute we hit puberty and, and we start having our monthly cycles, whether they're regular or not, it's like, uh, it's, it's become very common to just kind of throw it away as like oh she's being a bitch oh she's being bitchy she's so bitchy right now why are you so bitchy what's wrong with you you know and it's like that it's the fluctuation is normal but also like let's let's acknowledge it for what it is which is uh an indicator that something has to change yeah that's I love that I I love your acupuncturist is she in Seattle (laughs) um she is in Duval okay yeah (laughs) I was gonna say maybe I need to go see her yeah um, so I think the the one thing that I want to sort of um, end this episode on, which, well, I'm not even going to qualify it. I'm just going to let you share your experience because it is January and because it is the fitness industry, every, I shouldn't say every, the majority of people in the industry are focusing on the January challenge, right? It is a very common um very sort of standard way to get people back in the door and it's that whole idea of like new year new you and so here's your 30-day challenge or your 21-day challenge or whatever it is and whether it's workout twice a day or once a day or workout as many times as you can or workout plus diet um i i have noticed that with and myself included but with many of my clients it's sort of this it's like this ramp up to anxiety and january hits and people feel like they have something to prove and if they're not doing a january challenge then they're lazy or they're not committed or they're not um focused on self improvement and then january ends and then february through december is the same um it's like this huge peak right it's like this huge ramp up and then this huge drop off and, um, 
I have noticed that more often than not, it creates more of a challenge and more of a struggle for people than it actually provides lasting benefit. But what do you, that is my stance. Obviously, everyone has different, uh, different perception of it. But what have you mm-hmm. noticed about the fitness industry and how it handles the January, the January challenge or just fitness challenges in general? And like, what do you, do you have solutions? <laughs> what are your thoughts? I think, well, from a personal standpoint, I am very anti-January challenges. If I ever launch a new program, I'll do it in February or March after, um, after the people who have like the lofty goals have unrealistic goals have died off. And, um, but I think it's, pretty much every industry, fitness and others are designed to capitalize on people's vulnerabilities. And we've really come to this whole, like you said, new year, new you thing as if a day like tomorrow is gonna be different than today. And all of a sudden I can do all these things that I wasn't doing before. Um, So I very much, I'm not supportive of the January challenges. I understand where they come from. Um, But I think it's, if we're going to reframe fitness in general, and especially as women, that like, it's not a new year. It might be a new month, a new cycle. And every cycle is information and opportunity and shifts inside that. Um, But we really... I feel like eventually that has to shift in terms of we can start things over tomorrow. It's the same mindset as like, oh, I'll start over on Monday. This all or nothing, this quick fix, um, it sells, but it doesn't work. And as women, especially, it's all about space. And if you don't have space for something today, you're not going to have space for something tomorrow. And so I think just the, the general answer to your question of how I feel about it, I think I answered mm-hmm. and the paradigm shift, I think has to come from this place of what do you, what do you want? Who are you? What does your life actually look like right now? What do you have time for? And if you want to put these things in place, you want to have a regular exercise, um, you want to shift your diet, like what has to drop then? Because you can't add something if you don't subtract something in the current way that we operate in this grind culture of go, go, go. Um, And that's what I think the gift of knowing and understanding your cycle is, is that you have this innate new beginning every month. And so you don't have to look to the new year as a new beginning. Um, It's every, you go through the seasons of winter, spring, summer, fall, in terms of um, your hormones cycle that way, reflect pretty much mirror the energy of the earth and um, your exercise intensity, the way that we nourish our bodies during that time is all reflected in the earth. And so each part is important and each feeds, each cycle feeds off each other. So what I do in this cycle is going to play into my next cycle and, um, and small implemented changes are what are impactful versus this huge new beginning that is so easy to sell but just does not work. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way of putting it because I think that it is the same as, as the diet culture, right? It's like you try whole 30 or you try keto or you try um, paleo or whatever it is that you're trying and it's, you set a goal, right? I'm going to do this for 30 days and it's going to make change. And then I'm going to go back to normal. And it's the same thing right. with the fitness challenge, right? I'm going to go hard. I'm going to go all out for 30 days. And then February comes and I'm going to, I'm going to revert to what I did before. So like, if I wasn't drinking for January because my 
focus was health and I was working out twice a day and I was eating really clean and I was doing, I did all the things for the small amount of time, but I wasn't making lasting change. Then, then at least from my perspective, what's the point of doing it? What's, why are you, why is your goal to be healthy one month out of 12 months? Yeah. And it too making that lasting change, make deciding how you want your lifestyle to exist and what's going to create balance based on that. Totally. And I mean, I think the real question is like, is what you're about to do or jump into something that you want to maintain on a daily basis and can maintain like, Do you literally want to look at your next year and do high intensity workouts five times a week? Does that sound good to you? And, you know, maybe it does. And then you say, okay, like that sounds good. I want to try it. Um, And do you have the space to cook three meals a day as this whole 30 challenge requires and doesn't, you know, teach you any other skills or how to extend this beyond that. I mean, I know they're, they have a lot of things in place, but for most people, they just think, oh, I'm going to cut all these things out for this month. And then by day 18, they're like, oh my gosh, when is day 30 here? And they are doing so much that they can't maintain that then they just give up. Yeah. Yeah. The, the giving up the early bailout and also just so much of the evidence at this point, so much of the research is showing us that, that you can do these crash challenges and crash diets. And then as a result, because you've deprived yourself for so long, or you've overextended yourself for so long, you get to the end and then you overcompensate. And so then you either get to the end of 30 days of doing high interval, high intensity training, um, for 30 days straight. And you get to the end of it and you're like, I don't want to exercise at all anymore. Or you get to the end of the diet. Right. And it's the same thing. It's like, that was terrible. I did not feel supported. I was exhausted. I was hungry all the time. So then you overcompensate because you're like, whoa, great. The diet's over. I'm going to, I'm going to binge because it feels good. And I'm re, um, refueling, I guess, for lack of a better word, but it's not, there's no longevity in it. Yeah. I mean, two things that I do with any client, um, the first two things that we do is, and the first, um, is built off of Danielle Laporte's work of core desired feelings that instead of setting these goals of first of, I like, I want to lose 20 pounds and I, you know, all these physical things that we tend to do um, to first land on a feeling or two or three that really explain and are the overarching way that you want to feel in your body, in your work, in your relationships, um, and in your, in your spirit, in your soul. So for example, like maybe the word is light, you land on light. And so then from there you say, well, okay, what makes me feel light in my body? Okay. When I move, not any certain type of exercise, but when I move my body and when I, eat, um, you know, more vegetables and lighter proteins. And when I drink lots of water and when I get outside and there's so many things that fall under light, um, that isn't this very strict way of attacking it. And then the other piece is understanding your cycle and how, the feeling of lightness changes, can change throughout your cycle as well. And so having an understanding of what your hormones are doing and then coming from how you wanna feel instead of these linear goals, which is also comes from a masculine perspective, this linear goal that I go from this point to this point and these are the X, Y, Z steps that I take and I just get there. As women, we don't, operate like that because of our cycle, we have to have um, goals that have soul behind them, that have meaning that's deeper than just the physical, because we go through so many fluctuations every day that that what is defined as consistency in our modern society just isn't, doesn't flow with our hormones. So when you know how you want to feel, 
that looks so, that can look different every single day, but you can still feel light every day. And then we flip it. And instead of feeling horrible, trying to get to losing 20 pounds, you feel light the whole way there, you know? Um, so I think it's a totally different way to, to be able to do goals, but, um, it, it allows us to have meaning and allows it to change, which when you do a program like a whole 30 or whatever, it doesn't really change. It's like the same every day or, you know, like a 30 day hit challenge or whatever. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, I think a really powerful way to look at setting goals, especially for women, but for everyone, make it about making it about the feeling and not about the specifically in fitness about the aesthetic goals, right? But making it about creating that lasting change because I think most people get into fitness because they want to feel something different than what they're feeling, whether it's exactly. feeling more confident or feeling less pain or feeling, uh, you know, whatever it is, everyone has their own motivations, but, but that's such a good point because it is always feeling based, but then we create these very not feeling based goals, these very specific, um, usually aesthetic goals. And that's not those two, those two things don't line up. Yeah. Um, wow. That's a really, I feel like you just completely opened my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I know what I will be doing for my January goal setting. <laughs> wow. This Whitney, this has been so awesome. It is so nice to have a, a conversation with someone who, not only understands where we have gaps in the industry, but also has real solutions for um, how to fill in those gaps and how to how to support making change for the people that are here because they want to make change. Mm, thanks, um, friend. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank for, you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you were on this podcast. I I have ideas for a, a part two if you're up for it, which we can talk about later. Totally. Um, <laughs> but... This has been so great. Is there anything else you want to say to leave the listeners on as we wrap up the episode? I think just that anything that you, anytime you hear, try this diet or try this exercise or whatever it is, and you have a desire to try it, there's nothing wrong with that desire. But I, if you can look at it from a curiosity perspective of if I did this, um, how would I feel? And being willing to switch gears halfway through if it doesn't feel good. You know, if you decide, okay, I, I want to see how I feel on the whole 30 and you go, or if I join this, this gym's online program, since everything's online right now, and I'm doing hit five days a week and being willing to be curious about it, but not have it be this definitive thing and not be a failure. If you actually tune into your body and you say, whoa, this isn't working or also making the powerful choice to to stay doing something if it, if it feels good, but, um, the ability to stand in your body and make choices for your body based on how you do feel, um, I think is the most important thing when you're trying any program, which by all means, let your curiosity take you wherever it goes and maintain the level of discernment and openness to redirect if it's not going how you want it to go. And making you feel how you want to feel because ultimately you should feel good yes bottom line i feel like i just want to underline that and put a period at the end ultimately ultimately you should just feel good and it's that yeah. simple that simple oh i love it thank you so much thank you this has been wonderful i will make sure that we connect our listeners to you in the podcast notes so that they can find you via instagram or your website or